Did you know that the original Final Fantasy creator, Hironobu Sakaguchi, made a spiritual successor to that legendary series called Fantasian for Apple Arcade, and every level in the game is a handmade, physical miniature model. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing, and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au forward slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today at sifter.com.au forward slash arcade for a one month free trial of Apple Arcade and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. This offer is for new subscribers only $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. Hey there, thanks for joining us. This is Pixel Sift. My name is Gianni. Each week we dig into the issues in gaming that matter to you. And joining me on this journey are my intrepid co-hosts, Mitch and Scott. (laughs) Hey, hey. Hey. (laughs) Love that intro. (laughs) Got some grammar checking in there. It's because of the new computer? It is. We've got a a fancy new stream PC, which I'm sure you can tell from the uh, the quality of the stream going out there. (laughs) If you consider yourself... A bit of a warrior with the arcade stick, a button mashing. You think that's for noobs? Well, you'll probably think that I guess this week is a KO. So my name is Henry Sham, uh, also known as Gangsta. That's my gamer tag. And for Oshado, I'm essentially the brand manager and uh, tournament organizer. Fighting games started off in an in arcade, in a game center. And uh, in order to play those games, you had to play with someone next to you. And it's always been very personal. Henry will be sharing with us the world of competitive and social fighting games. That's coming up later, but what else are we checking out today, Scott? Uh, Today we're going to be taking a gander at the world of educational video games and game-based learning. Yeah, it's the biggest game in the world, but some players and teams aren't happy with the way Riot is playing with League of Legends. That's coming up a little bit later, but right now we have the shipping news with Brian Fairbanks. The 2016 Audio Game Jam began on the 29th and ends on the 5th of September. It's a fundraising game jam for the Royal National Institute of Blind People, which is a UK-based charity. However, it's open to everyone in the world, and Melbourne is showing a good amount of participation with a few teams already working. If you haven't heard of the term before, Game Jam is a short, dense game development period in which teams both compete and liaise with each other to create games. If you're a developer and you're looking for something to do this weekend, get a team together. Audiogames.net has a really great definition of the genre. An audio game is a game that consists only of sound. Its game mechanisms are usually based on the possibilities of sound as well. Usually, but not always, audio games have only auditory output. Audio games are not specifically games for the blind. Please check our site for more information, pixelsift.com.au. Submissions close for Australian Game Developer Awards on September 2nd. A game is eligible if it has been released after the 1st of September 2015 or has not been released yet, but it should be out in three months. The eligible categories are Studio of the Year, Game of the Year, Excellence in Art, Excellence in Design, Excellence in Audio, Technical Excellence, Innovation Award, Accessibility Award, Representation Award, and the Adam Lankman Award. 
former winners include Screen Cheat by Samurai Punk, who picked up the 2014 award for technical excellence. You can listen to our interview with Nick McDonald of Samurai Punk in episode 19. More information at gcap.com.au. Adelaide-based developer Team Fractal Alligator, also known as Matt Trobiani, has just announced an expansion of their critically acclaimed, massively successful Hacknet that was released in 2015. Hacknet is an immersive, terminal-based hacking simulator for PC. Dive down a rabbit hole as you follow the instructions of a recently deceased hacker, whose death may not have been the accident the media reports. Adding a new three- to four-hour chapter to the game, Hacknet Labyrinth sees you recruited by the mysterious Kaguya to join a small team of elite hackers on the hunt for powerful new tools and programs. Labyrinth delivers more of the gameplay you loved in Hacknet, along with some surprising new twists. Hacknet Labyrinth is set to come out later this year. And this has been Gaming News. Pixel Sift! No, seriously, pixel sift. <laughs> no, seriously. Pixel sift. Now, I'm sure we all remember playing some educational-based video games during school, uh, whether the much-adored Zumbinis, the fun-filled Math Circus, or even something from the Lightspan Collection. Educational games have been helping shape our young minds for more than 20 years. Our first topic today will be taking a look into this ever-interesting collaborative world of video games and education, or game-based learning, as I've seen it pop up quite a few times. Mitch, you've picked up a an omnibus, a heavy tome. Does anybody of... actually want to see this, what I've been reading like over the past 24 hours? <laughs> You're going to have to describe it for those people who are listening okay. in their it's car as well. Version. It's a brick of a book, and I think we might put a picture of this on the website. Here it is. Look, it's the Handbook of Research on the Societal Impact of Digital Media. We've been digging in deep for this one here. Yeah. And what, if, what did you come across? It's not a sponsor, by the way. This, this yeah. Is just, yeah. <laughs> what a plug. Um, yeah. All right. So basically, we've been looking at how the educational system pretty much approaches video games as like an idea. And what I found is they see it kind of like as a competition for young people's attention. Um, I got a quote here by uh, Jay Lamech. And it's, um, it says, too often we hear it argued that what players learn in virtual space- spaces is worth is worthless because it has no application in the real world. A see- world these critics seem... To, to seem to assume that what is what is real excludes our experience of the virtual. Now, so, how old is this? Uh, how old is your source? Okay, <laughs> the source is from 2010. Okay, that that quote was from 2010. This book is from 2016. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So, so someone's presumably looked at it in this year and said that's yeah. still up to date. So I don't know. Do you, what if? How do you feel about this, Mitch? Well, it just seems that like throughout, like um, I'm 22 years old. I was in high school, I guess, fairly recently, and video games have always been seen as pretty much enemy, almost number one of education, and they don't go hand in hand together. And where do they? Where they do come together, the examples aren't very exciting. But I guess Scott is here to prove me wrong. Well, no, no, no. I'm definitely not here to prove you wrong. I just, I, I just feel differently about this subject. Um, as I mentioned in the intro, like even uh, old people like Gianni and I were playing video games back in <laughs> primary school. You know, um, I had a list of them. I had a much better video game school than you did, apparently. You did, yeah. Um, it was amazing. Um, and now, like things have only gotten better, really. Um, obviously, as technology gets better and as our, our understanding of video games and their worth comes better. Um, but you know, nothing speaks. 
better, again, than uh, the stats. You know, let's just switch that phone off, Mitch. Come on. <laughs> We're all professional here. I'll tell you what, just before you jump into your stat. Yeah, do. I can think of a really good example that people probably wouldn't think of when they are of a, of a game that teaches people things. Yeah. And it's a very integral part, at least in all of my experience. Please. The driver simulation alertness test oh, yes. when you sit there and you just have to it's a, I mean it's a really simple game you mm-hmm. basically just click but it is a game that emulates what it is in a situation yeah. it puts people in a training and learning situation go from there and, but let's hear some of these facts shall we no 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 let's not and, and that's perfectly like as you said there I mean I think this needs to be some kind of um, distinction away from uh, you know the term games if we're going to include it into education because there is a bit of a stigma you are right Mitch there is mm. kind of like an old school um, pull away from it but if we're going to embrace the tools of video games like that we have we need to kind of get over that um, and okay a lot of the stats, stats I have are related to America because you know, they've just done more study on this um, over the last few years and they, a lot of these stats do date back to 2014 um, which is not really that long ago to be honest which is not that long ago especially when we're you know, looking at texts from six years ago, and some yeah. even you know some of the other stuff I had was from going back to even two thousand eight and further, and that was really hard to kind of um, put into context because things does, have changed so much. It does seem that more was written <coughs> about it when it was like games were just starting to be yeah. a thing, but to, now it's kind of actually tapered off, and yeah. people aren't really writing as much about it anymore. So here's some stats regarding games in the classroom in America. Over 60% of learners say leaderboards and competition would motivate them. Uh, 80% of learners would be more productive if learning was more game-like. 97% of teachers use digital games created for educational use. Uh, 70% of teachers saw increase in student engagement when using educational video games. And some of those interest, uh, interesting part of that is um, even though 97% of teachers use digital games, not a lot of them did it like comfortably or often. I think um, the frequency of play was like 27% of teachers use digital games at least once a month. Um, and like I think only 50% are comfortable with using games to teach. It's interesting. There are, you know, obviously people who have taken mainstream games that are already capturing the idea of people's uh, imagination. Kids were crazy about Minecraft, are probably still crazy about Minecraft. Mm-hmm. And Microsoft and Mojang actually went and actually made a Microsoft it's an edgy version, edgy version, yeah. um, to kind of teach some of the the programming and, and all of that sort of stuff in there. There's also ideas where you take elements of a game and sort of apply that to a classroom. There's a, a system that was developed by a teacher who basically pushed this on on Reddit originally. Um, and then said, I've got this idea for a game. We're going to give people points. We're going to give them avatars. They can all log in and create their own characters and things like that. It's like an RPG for a classroom. And instead of having your, your team points on the on the whiteboard up at the front of the class, you actually have it inside a game and people kind of play the games through that. And they get points and can play mini games as part of that. So. Well, look- Sorry, for education, what is needed really is just um, like more kind of uh, high quality user relevant software. You know, there needs to be a combination of the best game techniques. So like a contribution from games designers uh, working with, you know, proven learning techniques. So a contribution from the teachers like uh, that kind of collaboration is where we need to go with the future of gaming because there's like all sorts of interesting stuff that... um, you know, like um, the improving tech literacy, improving multitasking mentality, uh, improving teamwork, uh, long-range planning. Like these are things that 
children and people learn from games. That's right. Because they're a great way to learn. Yeah, serious games uh, we've talked about before. We also talked about with Jane Cox when she was in talking about uh, games for health are going to be an increasing part of what we do to learn. Um, and it's something that obviously, you know, we could we could literally spend all day talking about. If you do want to know more, because we'll stop it here. Yeah. But um, the gamification of education is definitely worth checking out. Have a look at that one. We'll stick a link up to that in this week's show notes. Let's jump into our interview. Watch episodes, Let's Plays and more at youtube.com forward slash pixelsiftau. Last weekend, fighting game enthusiasts from all around the world flew to Sydney to take part in Australia's biggest fighting game tournament. Mitch and I spoke to Henry Sham. He's one of the organisers at Oz Haddo, and they bring lovers of fighting games together to duke it out. We asked Henry what draws people to the arcade sticks and the low latency monitors. Okay, so Oz Haddo is essentially a community of like-minded people that all love fighting games, basically. So anything from Street Fighter, Tekken, Mortal Kombat, anything that's considered a fighting game genre, um, we provide a competitive scene for those people. So we started off quite a long time ago, about 2001 or so. So Ozzard has been around for about 15 years or so. I myself have been part of the organizational team for a good part of 10 years now. And... uh, Essentially, we provide the tournament setting and also a casual setting for people to meet up uh, offline and just have some fun and, and meet new people. And what is it about fighting games that really kind of capture your attention? And, you know, what are the, why, why does it stick so much in there that you want to be part of an organization that makes fighting game tournaments a big event? Uh, I think it comes down to the core of how fighting games began because unlike a lot of now traditional esports games fighting games started off in in an arcade in a game center and uh, in order to play those games you had to play with someone next to you and it's always been very personal and for me i've met all all of my closest friends and and acquaintances uh, from an arcade of somewhat or a tournament of some sort so having to be physically next to someone when playing these particular games makes it a, a, a lot more attractive to people because they get to meet people with the same hobby. And it's easier to make friends and, and, and meet new people when everyone speaks the same language. Do you think the sort of the arcade culture is like, does it still exist for, for people who are in the competitive fighting game scene in Australia? I know it's really big overseas where there's lots of places where people go to arcades to hang out, but is it still vibrant here in, in Australia? Uh, unfortunately, uh, I can confidently say the arcade scene in Australia is pretty much dead. Um, that has been the case for maybe five or six years already now. And with the you know emergence of a lot of the games being on console and internet play, there's just no reason for people to, almost no reason for people to come out into the city or, or, or wherever their, their local arcade is to actually compete, you know, in, in that sort of setting. And on top of that, a lot of arcade owners have decided, look, we know fighting games are, are kind of dying off in, in, in the arcade sense of things. So for them, in, in a business point of view, they've stopped you know, bringing in the newer games, they've, they've concentrated on, on you know, the prize games or the driving games and, and that sort of stuff. So that being said, you know, 
fighting games have kind of died off in the arcades. Arcades still exist, just fighting gamers don't usually go there very often anymore for that purpose. So what do you guys do to get people off the couch, off the console, into a competitive environment so that they can have the same sort of experiences that you had uh, when you were kind of getting into the fighting game scene? It's, it's very different from, from, I guess you can say, back in the day. Because back in the day, uh, a lot of people heard of Osado uh, basically through word of mouth. They would go to an arcade and say, oh, look, these guys are playing this game. And then they would play as well. And pe- people, uh, uh, as part of the community, would approach new players. Oh, are you interested in this game or, or, or whatnot? These days, now with you know the internet and social media, it's a, it's a lot easier for us to reach out to people because people can just Google competitive fighting games Sydney or competitive fighting games Australia and actually also there will be the first hit on Google uh, we also have you know Facebook pages for, for people to join and still at the end of the day it's kind of word of mouth there's uh, not much we can do in terms of marketing uh, other than going up to people that we see and say, oh, you, you like fighting games? You refer them to Osado, that sort of thing. I guess that's the way it works really, isn't it? You tell your mate to come along and you make yeah. a, a better sort of friendship yeah, pretty much. from that sort pretty of situation. Much. It's a bit easier these days because of um, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter and that sort of stuff. Even if someone is just a, a casual player, maybe they'll see a video on his friend's Facebook page that's from uh, OHN competition or something. And it's like, oh, this looks interesting. And then they'll, they'll ask the friend um, instead of us not necessarily having to be proactive in, in finding new players, they can actually find this sort of resource online much easier than before. But I suppose you've got uh, events like the Nationals, which you guys had just very recently, uh, which yes. can kind of bring people around from internationally as well. You've got some pretty big names that were able to, to come across and, and, and uh, take part in, in this event. Yes, that's correct. So just last weekend, we had our 14th uh, Auto Nationals tournament, which uh, had a slew of different fighting games, including some of the latest titles like Street Fighter V, Mortal Kombat X, uh, Tekken 7 were lucky enough to be provided actually an, an, an arcade port from uh, Namco Bandai themselves. And this sort of event attracted some international attention, some, some of the top players from Japan, Taiwan, Hong Kong, uh, some of the most famous players you see in, in you know on the internet, on YouTube and whatnot. Uh, also, uh, a reason why we attracted so much international attention is for the first time for Osado, we were actually part of what's known as the Capcom Cup Pro Tour. So Capcom being the uh, producer of Street Fighter series, they have a massive, you can think of it like a year-long kind of ladder or league where the top 32 players from around the world through different events around the world will be placed into one big tournament at the end of the year in, I think, November or December. And also the Nationals was lucky enough to be a part of that tour. So players that place at our tournament can get points towards their, their final point score kind of thing. So that attracted a lot of media attention, a lot of international players, a lot of uh, international viewers also on Twitch and on stream and so forth. So um, all of those little reasons, you know, combined made OHN actually one of the most successful events we've ever had in uh, Australian fighting game history, actually. And finally, Henry, can you shed a bit of light on this? This is something I've always heard, but... The fighting game uh, scene is super keen on the old school CRT TVs. Is that true? Do people raid Verge collections to find the old boxy monitors? Okay. Um, so 
Uh, there might be a little bit of uh, miscommunication or misinformation there. A lot of, uh, well, majority of the games these days that are popular being played at tournaments don't use CRTs anymore. Um, they were made for, you know, next-gen consoles and are to be played on, you know, LCD monitors and LED monitors. Um, the CRT monitor stuff is for older games, which literally don't support, you know, HDMI output. So the only possible way is CRT. So maybe like Smash Brothers Melee or something like that. Um, even older games would prefer CRT because there's less lag coming out of the monitor itself. It does input lag when you press buttons. And because fighting games in general are very, very uh, frame sensitive, like I was mentioning earlier, uh, this combo might need frame perfect execution. And if there's input lag or there's lag coming from the uh, LCD monitor, then it could mean a drop combo, which could mean you lose the round. So in that sense, we're very, very particular in the displays that we use, not necessarily a CRT, but uh, we are quite picky on the particular monitor that we are using. So there are companies that have approached us with, you know, uh, very, very low, uh, low lag monitors or lagless monitors. So for a gamer, you might use a, you might be happy with a TV at home, but when it gets to that competitive level, we'll sit down, we'll press a button and we'll know exactly Oh, this this TV is laggy. Oh, this monitor is laggy straight away. So I guess my button mashing is really going to cut it in uh, this competition. You need to be frame perfect. You might you might get you might get you might get past the first round. Maybe you're lucky, but uh, eventually won't carry you very far. Henry from Oshado there. If you're in WA, you can check out Evolve Pop Culture Fair this weekend and you can see some of the Oshado tournament experts show you their moves. Uh, if you're in Sydney, you can jump into one of the tournaments that Oshado hosts every month and go to oshado.net. Pixel Civ! It's not Pixel Civ, it's Pixel Sift. Pixel Civ! So Riot has gotten into some serious hot water over the compensation of their esports athletes. With major teams leaving the competition and some sponsors threatening to pull out as well, could Riot finally be feeling the effects of biting the hand that feeds them? This has kind of come out of a big sort of controversy where uh, one of the, uh, I guess the owners of one of these teams, um, basically came out and said, his name is Reginald, he's the owner of TSM, and he came out and said that the... Patch timing um, can cause issues uh, with the way that people play competitively because if they make a slight change to some spell, you know, it can affect you. Uh, The term that he used was effectively, it's like you're at the NBA Finals, except today, instead of having to use a basketball, you now have to use a bowling ball. It's gonna. It's not impossible. Yeah, let's mix it up the game a bit. It's not impossible, well, but you, you know you will have to kind of uh, practice with that a little bit, and you probably can't do that the day beforehand. Right. Um, that kind of attracted a bit of uh, sort of, con- uh, I guess, pushback from uh, Riot, who's the, one of the co-founders of Riot. His name's Mark Merrill, um, and he basically came out and said that that Reg Reggie uh, should play pay his players better, and then he wouldn't have to worry about uh, these patch <laughs> changes coming out. Um, and the, the patch timing, it's fine. There's no problems with it. It sort of exploded into this big argument uh, about what the value of players and how well, much they should be paid in order to play the game. I'm actually curious about this patch thing. I was, uh, I, as I understood it, I thought they were going to release a. I thought they released a build for the competition of that season, and then that's how it was for that season. 
and then it would only be changed after. I thought that makes it, sense. I, I don't know anything about the league as such because I'm well, not I think in that everyone who's often. playing at home is playing on the most recent patches, yeah. and they're, they're, well, they're adjusted for this competitive purpose. You know, you, you could be playing these games at home, yeah. but some of the patch changes they make are going to make no difference to you if you're playing with your mates or you're playing as random on the internet. But for the competitive league, if we just compare it to, let's say, AFL, I mean, they don't change the rules halfway through a season, do they? No, AFL. they don't change the ball. Absolutely. Yeah. That would just be unheard of. I mean, it's a bit controversy if they didn't change the colour sometimes. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, that I kind mean, of stuff would be unheard of in any other sport. The interesting thing is that, um, you know, most of the teams that are sort of involved in this particular thing, uh, you know, are paid actually by Riot, sort of a, a, an ongoing kind of holding fee to be in the team. Well, they do. Re- the, the Championship Series players do receive a salary. I mean, yeah, and that not, salary... It's, it's only 12 and a half grand. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, you know, that's not year round and that doesn't in your prize pools aren't guaranteed in that or anything but yeah yeah sorry well the salary itself has kind of come out the money gets sent to the team and then the the salary is sort of divided out that way and then teams are kind of uh, expected to kind of make up the difference in other ways one of the control the arguments they've said about this is that most of the teams kind of do operate at a loss because riot has restrictions on the sort of sponsors that they can have in their Teams, um, you often see all these esports players with sort of emblazoned uh, jerseys and things like that. But there are restrictions on that because there is a very lucrative skins and uh, you know add-on sort of sale um, that they don't want to decrease the visibility of. Um, you know, there's no also the people that win, for example, uh, get uh, in-game items uh, to represent their team. So you know, pick a team that you you might hear of, um, they get an item in the game, but then that item the money it's it's sold and the money doesn't go back to the team at all it all goes straight to riot so you know there isn't any kind of extra ways for these teams to make money they're working really hard to kind of create this um you know a pl- enjoyable watching experience for the players of the game and for the viewers of the game um but it seems like there's kind of a bit of an issue with so they're collecting it on both ends pretty much <laughs> pretty much yeah, yeah. I mean, it's very easy for riot to say you know the players need to get paid more and whatever but they have so hands-on with the league of legends series that you know it's, it's it, they're nanny stating it like yeah they're, they're basically giving not giving a lot of giving them a lot of options there's a lot of interesting ways in which the you know this is kind of played out. There's um, arguments that the casters, the people who are doing the shout casting, the commentating of the actual game, are actually you know arguing that they're not getting paid to the same value that some of the other people in other games that would be getting paid. And you know, there's I remember we talked very early on, and I think it was about our third or fourth episode. We were talking about all of these esports teams kind of coming together and forming uh, a union to kind of work through these problems. Yeah. To kind of what, say, what happened with that? I actually haven't been keeping up on that. Apparently, I I've been. I've I've been chatting to my friend uh, David, who's Shout a, out. he's a big League of Legends fan, and we've been chatting to him all about that and, um, during the week. And he said, basically, it kind of came to nothing. Um, really, these guys sort of didn't quite have enough pushing power that they thought they would have. There are still people out there who are hungry enough who aren't part of these big groups who are willing to kind of jump in and take the slots. And, you know, when you've got a game that is completely controlled by one company then you are sort of set up a situation where they basically call the shots. Scary so. monopoly. Yeah. Um, and, and, and as far as their kind of treatment of the sponsorship stuff, it's not even who sponsors, it's how they advertise their sponsorships. And like, it's all very, very controlled. And they try not to, you know, promote anything that they don't directly kind of endorse or condone. I mean, they, they've got a... One of their sponsors, HTC, they're in a little bit of a bubble uh, at, with them at the moment because basically they didn't behave in a way that they wanted. Yeah, they put up a video on one of their the team channels um, mm-hmm. and then Riot basically said, you can't put up you, a you video. You can't advertise other games and stuff. Or, or you or, can't or other products. Five. Yeah, yeah. On, on 
because it was actually League of, League of Legends players um, playing breaching the, their contract. Yeah, you know? apparently. Um, you know, this is kind of really. I, I don't know how this is kind of going to fold out in the end. Maybe they do need to have more of these sort of situations to kind of force them down this direction. But, you know, it's a lot of these will be tied up in non-disclosure agreements and contracts that people aren't obviously going to be able to yeah. discuss. Um, it's only when these things kind of blow up and people get, you know... Well, it's only once they've boiled over, really, is when we find out about them. Yeah. It does seem like this, and the problem with this is it doesn't end up affecting the the end user, like the, the lay people that are watching and playing the game. They don't really care because... If a big team pulls out, there are thousands of people willing to replace them and be fine with those conditions. It, yeah. it does seem like that, that's the case. That's it, because there is still such a kind of, um, close relationship between what you'd consider an amateur and what you'd consider, I guess, a, not even a, a professional player at all. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it does seem like they could, the problem just could go be swept under the rug over and over again mm. and without... I don't no. think it will be though. Like it's it, like any of these jobs though. It's this, this perspective that people have that you go, oh, you know, you get to play games for a living. That's how you make money out of it. And lots mm-hmm. of people don't get to play games for a living. You should just be happy with with that. Yeah. But you know, we kind of think about the way that esports players, how much they have to train, how much they have to do repetitive uh, job like motions. Also, the period of time that an esports player is relevant, like it's like I think. 22 actually might be too old almost wow. yeah like yeah. the like, reflexes just aren't there like some of the reflex it, twitch game yeah. yeah like um you know action per minute sort of starcrafty sort of things yeah you know there are there's a, a finite time that where you can actually play competitively Plus like rsi and whatever you know there's this there's a finite time you can play those kind of things at that level for yeah and like like you said mitch before there's also as far as pressure on the players uh and their security like you said, there are thousands, if not you know, millions of people waiting to jump into the same shoes and experience the same thing. And then, you know, there may not be good operators out there, maybe people who are just happy to kind of sign up any uh, young people who may not be as uh, savvy about their, their rights and things like that and kind of take advantage of their, their in, you know, enthusiasm for the game. You have this in any kind of emerging form of anything like entertainment. Um, I know as a, as a DJ kind of thing, um, people doing that for nothing was a little bit of a problem when I, over the last few years as you know it became a little bit easier for everyone to do it because you know you'd have someone with their first gig that would do it for free and it's, yeah. you know, it takes a legitimacy away from the uh, the industry yeah why don't you just do this for exposure, Scott? Yeah, exactly. Why don't you yeah, make, a, make a, a podcast for exposure, Scott? <laughs> exactly. It's all kind of entertainment that, that will be exploited by people that you know want to make a lot of money. That's right. Look, uh, that's all we've got time for today. This is obviously going to be something that is kind of come back in again. Um, we'll definitely you know, touch on this again. This issue is not going to kind of resolve itself anytime soon until it kind of happens, basically. Instead, um, play Overwatch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If, if you're not, <laughs> no, there, I'm there are plenty of games out there. So if there's a game that you don't 100% agree with, there's plenty of Just other viable options. So, uh, Look, thanks again for joining us on Pixel Sift. We hope you enjoyed the show. As usual, we'll be putting links up on our website. You can check on the post for this episode and see all the links this one you can see evolve you can see Oshado, everything on there thanks to henry to, for joining us uh our website is www.pixelsift.com.au uh scott yep social yeah our other media forms of social mediums are facebook.com forward slash pixel sift twitter.com forward slash pixel sift twitch.tv forward slash pixel sift and youtube.com forward slash pixel sift au and mitch uh where are there other episodes located if they don't want to go to our website if you don't want to go to the website you can subscribe to either our podcast or the app either on itunes pocket cast <laughs> or the rss link which is also on our website so you tough titties that's true you can there. subscribe but you can search for them in there as well but yeah anyway that's all we've got time for but thanks for joining us uh, 
uh, hopefully we'll see you guys again next week. See you guys. Peace out. Oh, check out this giant-ass book again. (laughs) This week brought to you by the book. No, it is not not good radio. not brought to you by the book. (laughs) Bye. If you're in the market for a super addictive puzzle game, you have to check out Mini Motorways on Apple Arcade. It's a city planning strategy puzzler with an incredibly satisfying gameplay loop. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today. That's sifter.com.au slash arcade for a free one-month trial of Apple Arcade, and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. New subscribers only, $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled.